In today's episode of Talent Savvy, we will be talking about your company culture and how this relates to your talent philosophy. Because how your talent behaves and what you reward will eventually determine your company culture. So you better have a really conscious talent philosophy, whatever it may be, to make sure that your company values are actually reflected by your employees. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Talent Savvy, the podcast that inspires you on all things talent. From the Netherlands, I am Bas van der Hattert. Hi everyone, Juana here, usually from Berlin, but today from hot and humid Barcelona. Hi, and this is uh, Giles from Bristol, UK nerd and recruiter. Welcome both of you. So today we are going to be talking about company culture and talent philosophy. And our discussion is actually built on... Uh, a newsletter by uh, recruiting legend, of course, Kevin Wheeler, um, send in June already. Uh, what's your company's firm culture and talent philosophy? And what he is talking about is that your company culture, or at least your company values, should be reflected in your talent philosophy. So things he's talking about is what if two equally well-qualified candidates go for a job, what determines the final choice? What's the most characteristic, the single most important characteristic by hiring managers to select on? But also, how does your organization deal with poor performing employees? Or who are considered to be the most valuable employees? Who gets a promotion? What do we actually give bonuses on? And how does this relate to our company culture and values? And What I love about this newsletter, which we will, of course, share in the show notes, it reflects on having an integral organization where your values are not just something you write on a website and never deal with, but are actually made to be in your talent philosophy. And that's something I've always found really strange when it isn't the case, yet we all know that it happens a lot. Uh, And what uh, my intention today is also to give examples of companies who at least had a talent philosophy, and we can talk about if it's a good one or a bad one, but how you really put that forward. Awana, your first thoughts when you read the newsletter? Uh, many thoughts, to be honest. I was, I, I was going on a roller coaster of emotions. Do I like it? Do I not like it? Do I agree with it? Do I not agree with it? It was <laughs> honestly quite a mixed bag. And I will probably disagree uh, during this commentary with a lot of points. But you mentioned something. When we design talent philosophies, they should uh, cascade from the culture philosophy. My take on this is that it actually does. Like, there's no other way that your talent philosophy would not be connected with your culture. And this is where a lot of people who are like, oh, I'm going to design this nice EVP and that's how my interview process is going to be and that's how my talent afterwards is going to be in in the organization. Actually not. The way you behave at work will literally cascade into how you interview and how you hire and how you promote. So for me, from this article, I'm like, no matter what, intentions you have it's just you need to be aware of the reality that the company culture will be reflected in the talent philosophy whether it's bad or whether it's good right so maybe i'll leave it there and uh, i'm very curious to hear uh, giles thoughts as well 
Yeah, I mean, very, very similar, actually. I think company and, and talent culture is something incredibly difficult to, to define. And there's a simile, isn't there, where you've got an iceberg model. And I think this is kind of what you're pointing at, you know, mm-hmm. that, that tip of the iceberg that points above the water, you know, that's everything you're saying about the culture. And that's all good. But yeah. it's that it's that 80% that sits beneath the waterline, the behaviors, the leadership, how you behave with your customers, all this kind of stuff that actually is your your culture and how it is realized. And I think that's that's kind of, you know, I, I'm a firm believer in, in transparency in, in the recruitment process and letting people know exactly what to expect and what's expected of them. And so, yeah, I, I think it was a really interesting article. Yeah, no, and I, I agree with uh, the both of you. I obviously phrased my take on it wrong. What I think, yes, your talent philosophy will always be connected to your culture. It's just the values you say you have versus the culture you actually have. And what I've noticed a lot for a very short time, I was trying to help people with cultural change until I figured out that would really, I'm not saying it isn't possible, but at least I'm not the one who should be helping you with that. That's for sure. But what you see is that the behaviors do fit into the culture, but often the values are something the company really wants to live by. But you also need then to have the talent philosophy. And like I said, uh, what do we give bonuses on? What do we give promotions on? I remember being in one company where we said, okay, we went from being sort of a government-structured organization to a free market organization. And everybody says, okay, now we need to think about customer satisfaction. Yet all the bonuses, all the promotions were still given on do you meet your financial targets. So basically, customer satisfaction was still way down on the list, even though it was our philosophy and our CEO genuinely believed on it. Only his bonus, which really made him annoyed that he never made it, was tied to the customer satisfaction rate. But he didn't put it lower that we need to put customer satisfaction higher on the list Mm -hmm. and basically if you're still telling people they are or are not getting any money extra on customer satisfaction it just doesn't matter you know people leave it in the back door right like like there's a cupboard there let's put everything that we don't really like or use once a year when we have an interview with a good newspaper and (laughs) then forget about it and and i think that's the danger with with organizational values isn't it that they're they're something that are written on a wall somewhere they get rocked out twice a year for reviews and they, they stay there, you know, and it's not lived through the organizations in a meaningful way. Well, actually, if they are taken out for reviews, at least for, for reviews with your talent, they're actually, I mean, the one thing which I've noticed in the past when we try to implement, for example, knowledge sharing, you know, the, the, the old, we need to help our colleagues, you know, uh, I was in one company once where we really wanted to actually have colleagues answer questions from their colleagues instead of just doing their own thing. And we noticed that actually in the semi-annual review, just asking the question, and we we, we build a a system for it for for being able to ask for uh, information requests on, on certain, this was a technical company, on certain technical issues. And only asking it the question, listen, I saw you didn't answer a single question from a colleague last year. We saw a cultural change because all of a sudden people were like, 
oh, is this part of my review now? Does this matter now? Apparently this matters. So if they're taken out and taken into consideration in the reviews, Giles, it's already a great thing. Usually they're just written on the wall as far as I know. But I think I think you I mean you know having a conversation once a year where all of a sudden as you say this, this is suddenly a thing you know that's 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 not good that's you know you, you, if you have if if that is a surprise to you at a point of review then that's not built into your culture and that's not baked in and and I think that's probably where the problem is you know yeah. the article starts actually with an example of a stronger talent philosophy versus a not so strong internal philosophy so they were like I have very well defined what I want to hire. But when they would actually join the organization, it made no sense anymore, right? Like they were not the doers that they wanted and so on. And sometimes it happens because the leader probably of the talent organization, the talent acquisition organization came in and is like, this is the structured interview. This is what we're looking for. This is what I hear that we should like from an industry perspective. But then it doesn't have that um, bridge of communication with the talent director or whoever is building the CEO, the founder. There was no conversation between the two. And that's also very dangerous. Sometimes I'm like, chicken and egg problem? <laughs> what comes first, right? Sometimes they push each other. But I do agree the the culture piece, the the internal performance management, the how we grow, how we hire, how we fire needs to have very strong common points. That's that's kind of what I, I think defines both of them if they're done right. No, absolutely. And and uh, what I always loved is it and I'm not saying they're always really great talent philosophies, but the fact that companies actually have a talent philosophy. Mm-hmm. I remember uh, the old Arthur Anderson, you know, the, the, the big five, which became big four after they um, basically signed off on every criminal Enron activity. They literally had the, uh, we only hire graduates up or out. So if you weren't promoting fast enough, you're to leave the organization. They were very clear about that, but they were also saying, we never hire external above a certain level because you need to be ingrained with our Arthur Anderson philosophy. Well, that eventually made them lose everything because apparently ethics wasn't part of the Arthur Anderson philosophy. But having said that, at least they had a certain philosophy. They they, they said, listen, we believe in training and in growing our own talent. Mm-hmm. We we had a really interesting case study about four years ago where we recruited, deliberately recruited a cohort of about 20 people from uh, complementary industries, but not the same industry. And it really forced us to think differently about the way that we engage talent from a cultural point of view, but also what the journey looked like for those people once they came into the organization. Yeah. So really interesting case study because we were, you know, we, we took away that assumption that this person has to have 10 years experience in this particular industry. We looked at actually what the behaviors that drive success. And then what are we going to do for those people once they come to the organization to develop them? Yeah, I actually love that. And I've, I've actually seen, I don't know if any of you have ever heard of Brainport, but it's basically the cooperation of high-tech companies in Eindhoven, which uh, I think a couple of years ago won you know, the smartest region in the world or something with, with ASML and Philips and, and all those uh, massive hardcore high-tech companies. And actually during the Lehman crisis, they had to le- let people go, and they, but they didn't want to let them go because they were too talented. But and what they ended up doing was lending each other 
staff through the Brainport Foundation. So they were basically putting them in in competitors or, mm-hmm. or suppliers. And one of the brilliant case studies was that the, the, the big trucking company, VDL, who makes a lot of buses and stuff, put them at their suppliers. And the products improved so much because all of a sudden these people who were dealing with the units which came in through their suppliers were now like, why do we have the holes over there? If we would drill them in here, literally, they would fit so much easier. And now they have a philosophy where they actually have a program where you can lend your talent or you can go to a supplier or a competitor for six months to a year and actually do even sometimes do internships at each other's companies because they everybody improves from that that's that was another talent philosophy mm-hmm. i really love like why are we hoarding talents like it's ours and why are we not sharing it that's very interesting it made makes me think i, I think i read in shoe dog this is a book about nike being founded and all that super interesting and nice easy light read but i was a bit like oh my god yes we should all be doing this how a lot of the Chinese-based large organizations would hire people, would invest in their like early career with the commitment, you will go in the US, you will go in the UK, you will go in the world somewhere and work in the field and work for a competitor. But then you come back. Like This is <laughs> our promise. You'll have a job for life, but you also need to do this, uh, let's say, tour of duty right somewhere else. And I, I mean, different reasons why. <laughs> but I think in the end, the ecosystem of talent is so small. I think this is where I I love the idea of Giles as well, like this behaviors, even if you work in a different industry, there are so many transferable skills and behaviors that we could tap more into it if our culture, of course, is again explicit about it. So yeah, super, super interesting examples. I think, I think the other danger and the other really interesting bit at the start of this, this article where they're talking about, you know, we, we, we hire graduates from particular schools and that's our talent culture and what have you. I mean, the obvious danger there is is affinity bias, right? You end up with a very flat organization that culturally is the same. It stifles innovation. It stifles creativity. You end up with a lot of people just thinking in the same way and doing the same things, which is cultural suicide from a talent point of view, as far as I, I'm concerned. No, absolutely. But that's actually why it's good to have a genuine talent philosophy, because I have never seen a talent philosophy saying we only hire from these universities, or at least... Google oh, bit. Google was doing this. Facebook yeah, was like sorry, 10 years right. ago, right? I, <laughs> you you I, heard I yourself. And all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, wait. <laughs> but 10 years ago, let's say now everybody says, yeah. no, we heard from everywhere. But it was like that. I was working in Facebook around, what, seven, eight years ago, and they were just kind of realizing, hey, we kind of probably have mini me's throughout the organization and this is not going to lead us to like decades long success. So let's change this now. Plus, we, we, we're lacking people to hire. So... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I, I, and I actually know that, but the companies I was thinking about are a few law firms in, mm-hmm. in Amsterdam who do not have the talent philosophy. We only hire from Amsterdam or Leiden, but they literally, as soon as somebody from the south of the north or the north of the Netherlands applies, say, well, that's a provincial, can't be any good. Wow. You know? mm-hmm. And uh, they, they had that for many, many years, even though, Interestingly enough, those universities were ranked higher on quality of education. They were like, well, we can't start hiring people with an accent. We can't start hiring people from the provinces, which was, well, some of them had had different philosophies as well. Like women weren't allowed to be uh, over one meter 74, if I'm not mistaken. And you're in the Netherlands, so you can't really... (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, no, that was that was that was one of the most biased. That's one of the few times I actually was like, "Why am I Horror. sitting at this hiring, uh, this recruitment manager's desk? Why am I not walking out of this meeting?" You're such a biased a hole. But having a talent philosophy, which actually does with your company culture. And that's the same. Uh, that was one of the points I've actually found really interesting as well, which Kevin makes is how do you deal with poor performing employees, for example? That's part of your talent philosophy as well. You know, do you fire them? Do you train them? Um, and what point do you say enough is enough? I think that actually speaks volumes to your culture. Yet, Giles, you've got an opinion. Well, I, I mean, I was going to say, I mean, how, how do you how do you define poor performance as well? I mean, you know, are you looking purely at a kind of attainment of goals or are you considering the, the way they behave? Because someone can attain goals, but they can make a lot of waves in, in that process. And you, are you truly aligned on those those two principles? No, absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's, yeah, this brings back memories, uh, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> this, this was exactly my thought. A, a strong culture, in a company with a strong culture in general, I've noticed that they also have a strong performance management system, which means they have a performance framework. They have some expectations. Are they all the most objective? Maybe, yes, we'll see. But at least there is something that people kind of go to year on year and refer back to saying, you're a good performer, you're a not so good performer. How do we fix this? And I think that's the second part of the conversation. How do we fix this? Because nobody wants to be a poor performer. People are not inherently bad at their job. They either lost purpose, they are unsupported in actually doing a job that is probably beyond their skills and the expectations are way displaced. So for me in general, when we talk about this number, I think it's number four in the article, question number four, it's super interesting to just understand, is your performance system helping you have a good outcome for your employees when you have this performance conversation? Or it teaches you only how to fire people. And that for me would be a, a signal, right? Like if my performance management in this organization just teaches me as a manager how to let go <laughs> without, in compliant ways, right? That's not a good, strong culture. So that's for me, it's a bit of a flag whenever I see that. I think it's as much about that, but it's also about having learning to have difficult conversations. You yeah. know, it's it's. I, I think the opposite can be true as well. I mean, I've seen my, my previous companies where people are afraid to have honest conversations with underperformers and you end up with someone thinking they're doing fine when in fact they're they're not and and it's never addressed and and i actually because i i disagree that it's not a strong culture you can have a strong culture where you okay. have those difficult conversations and kick them out but that's a philosophy and i've mm -hmm. actually also uh, worked at one of my my companies i was actually that was my my shortest stint in a management team ever because that company was reluctant to also address poor performance and actually they they addressed it they just if somebody kept on performing poorly they would not take any mm -hmm. future action on it, which frustrated the hell out of me. But that, their culture was, we do not fire anybody and we uh, we believe that there's uh, always more coaching to be given, basically. But sometimes, which which was interestingly, by the way, that they it was an IT firm. And when you didn't have the IT skills, they had no problem kicking you out. When you didn't have the social skills or or for... Everybody not in an IT job, not performing, not performing recruiters, no problem. You know, so, so it, it, it was also a split culture, which made it really difficult to to to, mm -hmm. to deal with. Uh, also, for for example, the IT people, they were like, "Well, we have these 
really high standards on quality, yet the people who need to support us in being great at our IT job, you let them get away with basically everything. I think that I think that's a really important, a really interesting point actually, because it is talent culture experienced in the same way across an organization. Does your finance team's talent culture is that the same as your scientific team or your engineering team or your HR team? So I think I think that's a really interesting point actually. But yeah. you said this is split culture. I think this is really interesting, Bas, and I want to pick on it because it, the question number one in Kevin's article made me a little bit like meh. What single characteristic is considered most important by hiring manager in a potential candidate? And to your both of your points, like, is this hiring manager in tech or in HR? Are they in finance or strategy, right? And I think it's, for me, it's trying to pinpoint one thing, uh, it's very much like recency bias because put a hundred hiring managers in a room and ask them what's the single trait that they're hiring. They're, you're going to have probably like 80 different answers. <laughs> so singling out one thing, you might be tempted, but I, I would love to encourage people who want to dive deeper into organizational talent philosoph- philosophies to think about teams, teams that are repeatable, patterns that are seen in, in the structures of people growing and how we hire and what type of levels and what type of jobs are getting hired easier versus others really diving a little bit more into teams versus one single thing that will make us successful <laughs> and i think if you're if you're really lucky as, as a talent professional you'll get the opportunity to look at things like engagement data mm-hmm. and maybe even exit data in, in our company I, i've always set up new starter surveys as well because i think as much as many data points you can you can get to understand these from the employees will help you build that bigger picture so a company-wide engagement survey will give you that data. How do different teams experience these things on a day-to-day basis? You know, a new start survey is something that we do. We will survey someone a few months after they've joined and say, you know, what, what's the reality versus your expectations? You know, is, is, is it close? Why did you join? Why did you choose to join us? And, and get that kind of data at that point as well. Well, if you're talking about a really strong talent philosophy and I think culture, this is actually, do you, know, do you guys know what LinkedIn does? So they literally, uh, within the first week, the HR director or hiring manager, I forgot, but we'll have a a talk with you. What's the job you want to do when you leave us? (laughs) In the first week you join. And they literally say, listen, as long as you're working towards your next career goal, you're going to be engaged with us. And every three to seven years, if I'm not mistaken, you need to realign your goal. And if you can't reach your goal, and I think they had a maximum of seven years, something's going wrong here. And so they let you talk about your career ambitions. And they're going to see, you know, can we do that within the company or is that going to be externally? And uh, actually a friend of mine, when he joined, he, he was and he used to be an HR director. And the very first question he got in his very first week, what are you going to do when you leave us? He's like, I just started here. That's not a point. I want to know what your career ambition is when you and he also told me at some point, which was really interesting because then people are always talking like up, up, up. And he literally at some point was asked after I think his first three years and he met his first goal, like, what's your ambition now? And he's like, uh, to be honest, for the next couple of years, I want to be easy going because I've got a lot of issues back home and, and uh, I have to basically get my family situation in a place where it's manageable again and and. Uh, he had a, a mentally ill child, which needed to be put into a good spot where he got enough attention and stuff. So he's like, 
for the next two years, I actually just want to do what I've been doing and not have any challenges. And they were like, good. And when that changes in two years' time, we'll talk again, which which I also thought a really interesting talent philosophy that they're like, well, everything goes in cycles. And those cycles within LinkedIn are between three and seven years. And uh, Reed Hoffman wrote a, a book about this. He calls them tours of duty. And you go on and, and we help you build your future. Also your future possibly outside of the company. That, that was what I considered a very interesting talent philosophy. I like that. Yeah, I think uh, you know, there's only there's only so much space for, uh, in a company. It's it's typically a hierarchy, and there's only so much you can do within an organization, depending on the size. So yeah, if you can think more holistically about how you can add to to that person's career, I think that's a wonderful philosophy. Yeah, career and life, which which was I, I expected because LinkedIn is American, and I've actually heard from other people that they were very results driven, and it turned out from my friend who came there was there was it just, wasn't just results driven or. It's results driven, but they understand that your life influences your results. And that if you're stressing about your home situation, you're not helping the company. And it's better to help somebody out for one or two years and then have them be very successful again, which uh, I found really interesting. But that's the opposite of this uh, uh, in or out, right? Like up or out, right? Uh, when you, you can still do a very good job in whatever you're doing and meeting expectations, which sometimes in these organizations is very high anyway, right? Like we talk about a very high bar for just doing your job well. <laughs> so uh, I think the guarantee of we will still consider you no matter what happens in your lifespan in the next, I don't know, 12, 18 months, uh, you still have a path here and you still have the support that you need. But in the same time, if your need is not for us to push you harder to grow and promote, because that probably requires a bit of a, an extra percentage to your day. To be honest, that's a little bit manipulative maybe in my mind because you're like, okay, you're still going to push probably. <laughs> Because you don't want to be behind when everybody else is pushing you, but I, I think it really depends on your on your peers and on your on your leaders, close ones, right? Like not necessarily head of organization, because I'm sure they will be still very results driven in LinkedIn if you talk to the CEO and CPO and all that. So, do we have any other last really interesting uh, talent philosophies we want to share with? Anybody, Giles, got a got an interesting one? Yeah, I think I think what we've done in the past is to really bake this into the process, and you can you can bake it into your EVP, and I think that's super important. And I think you need to be transparent with people, but you can do that, I think, in in creative ways. And and so, you know, my last company, Innovation, was a really big point for us, and we we built that into our assessment process, and we would give people real life problems, and you know, a, a unscripted, and get them to to address that problem in the assessment, and and assess their behaviors on on that basis. Yeah. Any final words? I think what I want to encourage and even a reminder for myself, how do we decipher these cultures, right? Like you stand as a spectator outside and you're like, you read some articles and you're like, oh, okay, Giles' company looks amazing. What are these data points, right? Like what are the uh, pieces that you try to put together before you join or, um, yeah, create more stuff in that organization? So is the culture translated through the employer brand? Yes. 
sometimes the employer brand is often very actually underfunded. Is that a fair thing to just look for employer brand pieces, right? So do you talk to alumni? Do you check with, you know, the glass doors and all these reviews? Do you actually interview to check out that particular assumption that you have? I think for us, maybe it's difficult as an outsider to evaluate, is this the perception? Is this reality? But there are many data points there. And I think Kevin's questions are a good start. But in my mind, take them with a grain of salt. They tend to be a bit on the extreme side and they're looking for like eternal answers, which might not be the case. Everything is temporal and situational a bit. Okay. And one last idea I want to share with our audience. I'm actually working at a company now or an organization which says that, uh, you know, we want to help develop. That's one of their their goals and they literally in their HR policy has an internal applicant doesn't need to be able to do the job now. We need to be able to teach that person. Do we think the person has the qualities to be able to learn the job? And if not, we need to, there needs to be genuinely a really good reason to reject an internal candidate, even if it's on a completely different type of work, which uh, means that I've, I've actually talked to one person who's at that company for five years now and actually had three diff- completely different jobs already, which really helps her grow. So that's part of a talent philosophy, I think, as well, which as far as I am concerned, your values need to be baked into your HR policies. And on that note, if you love our show, give us a good rating at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Tell somebody else you liked it, and we'll be back next week.